We're going through this short uh, fourth Sunday series through our core values. Uh, I've been really excited about this, looking forward to this. We started off with looking at the gospel, looking at the gospel, looking at God's word. That's our foundation that we look at. Um, and the, uh, you know, it's like there's four pillars, as it were, to the house, four pillars to the house um, of God. And we're looking at those four values. And so we're looking at um, abiding prayer today. And, uh, you know, if, if, if the church is like a, a vehicle, a car, it's really prayer is like the gas. Um, without prayer, nothing can be accomplished. Um, it's going to go nowhere very fast. And so we're going to be looking at that. I like how everyone just joined in. But everyone knew, knows the Lord's Prayer. So uh, it's, it's a good thing to know. Um, all right, we're going we're gonna to go into that. Let's pray real quick again. Father in heaven, bless the meditations of my mouth and bless the meditations of all our hearts, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Jesus has for us uh, five lessons I wanted to still. Five lessons, five points about prayer. He said, Jesus says, when you pray. When you pray, right there, starting off in verse 5. He takes it for granted, friends, that we're going to pray. The church needs to pray. We need to pray. I remember um, when I was in college, um, I just come out of just a horrible season in my life. Uh, worst season probably in my life ever, um, where I'd been severely depressed and just dealing with a lot of stuff. And I remember coming to the point, I was at a a Christian college, and I was like, man, I'm surrounded by 40 other Christian guys. I go to school, and I go to class, and they pray during class, and they try to integrate faith and learning, and we go to chapel three times a week, and I go to church, but wow, I have no spiritual life really of my own. I'm surrounded by this, but I don't really have it myself. And it was my sophomore year where I really, something just clicked in me. And I was like, if I do anything today, I have all this stress, all this burden of homework. I have everything else. I want to hang out with my friends, right? I'm 19 years old. Um, college kids just have so much relational capacity. Um, and I was like, man, if I do anything today, I need to pray. I need to meet with God. And that maybe sounds really super spiritual. But, man, that's, our relationship with God is everything, right? And I pray that we would get that too. Um, J.C. Ryle, in his book, A Call to Prayer, it's this tiny, tiny little, little book, but, man, it will mess you up. Don't read it. Don't read it. It might mess you up. I'm just saying, all right? He says this. He says, the wheels of all machinery for extending the gospel are moved by prayer. That's like the whole gas analogy. The wheels of all machinery for extending the gospel are moved by prayer. I ask you to pray, he says, because there is no duty in religion so neglected as private prayer. Right? Isn't that the truth? Amen, right? Now pointing the fingers at, right? I mean, it's, he says, he goes on to say this. He says, I commend you the importance of watchfulness over your prayers. 
Prayer is that point in religion at which you must be most of all on your guard. Here it is that true religion begins. Here it flourishes and here it decays. Tell me what a man's prayers are and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. Ooh, we got some daggers here, guys. Prayer is the spiritual pulse. By this, the spiritual health may be tested. Prayer is the spiritual weather glass. By this, we may know whether it is fair or foul with our hearts. Oh, let us keep an eye continually upon our private devotions. Here is the pith and marrow of our practical Christianity. Sermons and books and tracts and committee meetings and the company of good men are all good in their way, but they will never make up for the neglect of private prayer. Mark well the places in society and companions that unhinge your hearts for communion with God and make your prayers drive heavily. If you will take care of your prayers, nothing shall go very wrong with your soul. Those are intense words for us. Jesus speaks to this, right, in this passage. And in the context, he says, this is his first lesson. Prayer is for God, not for man. Prayer is for God, not for man. And he's wanting to draw a contrast between the people of his day and these hypocrites that he calls in his own words. Because this was the context. In Jewish spiritual life, prayer was, public prayer was um, a custom. It was an essential. So three times a day, you would have morning, afternoon, and evening, you'd have, there'd be public prayer. It's almost like, um, you know, like going to the mosque now for Muslims. Um, so this is what everyone would do. And so this is what Jesus is talking about when he speaks into this in verses 5 and 6, when he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So that's what he's talking about. In the morning, at this designated time, everyone was supposed to do that. In the afternoon, in at night, that's what you were supposed to do. So he's saying, all right, he's drawing direct contrast for that in their flowery speeches and words that they would give. He says, you're going to be rewarded by them. They already have the reward, all right? Everyone is like, yeah, oh, good job. You're such a spiritual person. You know, he says, all right, they got the rewards. But my God sees you. He sees you when no one else sees you. He knows what kind of person you are. Verse 6 says, When you pray, though, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So very practical. Some of us just need to do this. Just go into our room, close the door, focus, no distractions, focus on God. So in the context of this too, um, in a Jewish house at the time, there would be, this is probably the storeroom he's talking about, and it would have, it'd be without a window, so no one would be able to see. And the only lockable door maybe that you have on the inside, the only lockable door on the inside. And the point was, to just have focus, be alone, you and God. Jesus assumes that we will spend intentional time alone with our Father. None of this, and this is what I hear people often say, oh, you know, I pray throughout the day. I, I pray throughout the day. I'm always praying. 
I'm always praying. I don't need a specific time with God. Man, wow, you're more holy than I am. I'll tell you that. I'm, I never believe that when someone says, I'm, man, that's, that's hard. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to pray unceasingly. But, well, Jesus made this a practice on his own. Jesus went out and he prayed alone with God. So I guess you must be more holier than Jesus if you don't need a set time to go pray. He says again, knowing he's going to reward us. When we feel like our Bible reading is dry, know that he's going to reward you. When you just feel like you're just throwing up prayers to heaven, he doesn't hear you. When you're discouraged, when your prayer time is so distracted, know he's going to reward you. He sees that. Jesus had been, um, at the beginning of Mark's gospel, he'd been healing people. He'd been up all night casting out demons, healing people, people coming to his door, he's exhausted. And what does it say? Mark 1.35 says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus was, that was his custom. That's what he did. Again, in Luke 5, similar context, it says this then about Jesus. It says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Right? We see this Jesus before his crucifixion. He goes with his disciples to pray with them. And he goes out then alone a little further to pray alone with God in the garden. Jesus prayed. Don't pray, so friend, my friends, so that man can see you. Don't pray to build up your own self-righteousness, even when you're alone. And let's be real. You know, if, we, if, we, if I asked most of you to pray just right now, Hey, let's pray. You wouldn't want to. Because you'd be scared to pray in front of people. Maybe. You'd be scared to pray in front of man. But he says, prayer is not for man. It's for God. You have a holy, powerful Father of grace and love. Why not? Why don't we go to him like we would to our Father as a child to, in prayer? In a prayer meeting, maybe in a small group, or maybe when there's just two of you, we have the mindset that we're praying with the men around, rather, or women around, rather than to God. We fear God's men's judgment of our prayers, of how spiritual or not they are, instead of God's reward and his pleasure that he wants to hear from us. So let us go to God, even with simple words. Call on God as a child to his father with all reverence and awe. Church, we must pray. Prayer is for God, not for man. Number two, he says, prayer is acknowledging that God knows. Prayer is knowing that God knows. Verses seven and eight, we see this. And when you pray, he says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. We think that we got to say the right words for God to hear us. Man, I, I know I've been guilty of this. If I just say the right words, then I'll just finagle God into getting maybe what I want, to listening to me. Right? Uh, so Jesus is talking about this uh, in the context. Pagan priests of the ancient world, they would just go on and on. You think people pray long in church, man. These guys, these pagan priests... They would just go on and on, begging and pleading with God to hear them. They would repeat the name of their God over and over again, and 
sometimes the same word over and over again without thinking. So that was the context of some of these Roman Greek priests and temples back then. That's what Jesus is saying, don't be like that. I think some of us, sometimes we fall into the same things. <clears throat> some traditions would want us to say Hail Marys over and over again or Our Fathers over and over again. That's, yeah, that's not, that's not the point of the Lord's Prayer. Some, some other t- traditions, some of us, and I say Father God every time. Father God this, Father God that, Father. I'm like, man, he knows his name, all right? We don't, we don't. <laughs> it's not against, God's not against repetition necessarily, but it's, it's from the heart. It's from the heart. Instead, verse 8 says, pray like God knows. Pray like God knows. God is omniscient. It's the, and omniscience is the property of having maximal knowledge, knowing everything, having universal knowledge, knowing all things, infinitely knowing and wise. He knows everything, all events, past, present, and future. That'll blow your mind. We really think about that. And he knows what's best, what's best for you and I. Even though we don't like that, we don't like sometimes what's best for us, but he knows what's best for us and for the universe and for his glory. Pray like God knows. Don't pray to him. Let's not pray to him like we're trying to bully him, like we're trying to twist his arm into giving us what we want. It's not a vending, he's not a vending machine that, all right, I just put in my prayers, I do my good works, and then out gets out the candy bar. What, what I really want from God. It's not a technique not a performance but a relationship relationship church we must pray prayer is knowing that God knows third prayer is worship it's not a liturgical model that Jesus gives us it's not a liturgical model excuse me a liturgical form but it's a model pray like this pray like this he says father father and Jesus, the word he probably would have used would have been the Hebrew language at the time of Aramaic. Aramaic, as many of you maybe know, uh, Abba. Abba would have been the word that he used. And now some people will go and say, um, all right, that's, that's the same as daddy. No, no, it's not the same as daddy. You see, it was, Abba um, was still reverence for a father, but also the familiarity and warmth of saying like dad. See, a grown Palestinian man would never say, Daddy. He would never say that. So, it's not Daddy. That would be irreverent. Grown men don't say that. But it's both the, the authority of Father and also of Dad mixed together. Father and Dad mixed together. We see in Abba. So he says, approach God like that. That he's our holy, almighty Father but he's also our dad. He sent our son. We can approach him. It's like my, my little girls. I got three girls, right? They, they got to have my heart around their pinky, right? Like, dad, do this. Dad, I hurt this. All right, my heart, my heart is already, okay. There we go. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. To make your name holy. We're asking him to glorify himself. How cool is that? To make it, to make it, Honorable to make it beauty for us to see it as that to be holy in people's eyes So then this is the whole mission and vision of our lives 
This is the whole mission vision of all people's church, of every single one of us, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose, to make his name holy, to make it look great. That's what we live all our lives. That's what we pray to, to, to see happen, no matter what we're doing, whether we're brushing our teeth, whether we're serving someone, whether we're making a meal, we're working our job that is monotonous, we don't want to be there, any of that done to him glorifies him. It makes his name holy. And that's the vision of all people's church. Do you want to learn how to pray? That's what we want to do here at the church. We're figuring out together. We want to learn to move mountains through our prayers. That's, that's what we want. We want to see, you know, I, I encourage you guys to uh, come to that launch meeting, maybe if you're thinking about it, um, to join us for, for some food and, and fellowship and as we're, we look together. All right, how can we, how, let us pray and let us strategize to see how we can reach out to our communities because it's going to happen through prayer. It's going to happen through work of, of um, loving others. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Have you ever had that friend that... Uh, that comes to you only when they want something from you, right? Don't let that be your prayer life with God. Don't let it be like that child who always goes to his dad only to get allowance or that piece of candy. Church, we must pray, and prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. Number four, prayer is declaring God's will. Prayer is declaring God's will. We see this in verses 10 and 11. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. These are, these are different uh, petitions we get here. Your kingdom come, another one. Your will be done, another one. On earth as it is in heaven. We're called to pray for the advance of God's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know how to pray? What's his will? He's talking about here his revealed will. So we have to know the Bible to know what's God's revealed will for people. Right? It's to glorify God. It's to make his name holy. It's that people would come to know him. To live lives that are abundant. Abundant life. That's what God made us for, not the brokenness that we see in the world. We're supposed to pray against the darkness and the brokenness. See in verse 11, give us our daily bread. We're supposed to pray for our daily physical needs. Jesus, in some dark humor, he says, All right, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, there's enough worries there. It will worry about itself. <laughs> but just for, for today. Just be present today. So it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the prayer dog, exactly. <laughs> so we ask for our, our our daily bread for today, our bread for today, not tomorrow, not next week. I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. That's not what the Bible is saying. Jesus is saying here, but we ask for what we need today. Not too little, not too much. You see, because we often that that keeps us dependent on God. That keeps us tr trusting Him. We, we think that we don't need God. 
we think that, all right, by maybe just our own invitations, our own strategy, that maybe we can build God's church. Maybe we can fix our lives. We can get our finances in order. We can fix our relationships. You know, I always am telling people that, uh, you know, Chelsea and I, we're not very impressive people. We're trying to plant this church, but I'm not impressive not an impressive person, but I know someone who is. I know someone who is. And it, it's utter pride and hubris for us to go around our lives like we don't need God. That's what prayerlessness is. Man, you want to know how to get no one at an event, see no one show up? Just call it a prayer meeting. Hey, we're having a prayer meeting. All right, I won't be there. <laughs> right? Why are prayer meetings always the least attended? Why aren't they just packed out? Because the flesh hates prayer. Our sinful flesh hates prayer. We don't want to be dependent on God. Man, I'm, I'm, I'll pick myself up on my bootstraps. I'll do it myself. The prayerless, prayerless life is the greatest indication of self-exalting pride. John 15, uh, 4 through 5, it says this. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, these verses I've been meditating and memorizing for like the last several years and just wow apart from me you can do nothing I just think all right that's my life apart from Christ that's literally a picture of a dead dead vines we think with all our busyness sometimes that man all right I'm I got life I got life it's but really, on the inside, this is what we feel like. You can do nothing apart from me. Jesus is talking about abiding in him, this relationship of abiding in his word, abiding and praying, this relationship with God. I once heard it said like this. Uh, prayer is like a man with a great rope or fishing pole. He's, he's in a boat, all right, and he's, there's an island out there, and he throws out his line, to the island. Now, is he going to move the island to himself? No. He's going to move himself to the island. Prayer is like that. We pray, and we aren't like, oh, God, this is, come on, I want you to do this for me. Oh, this is, this is what you really want to do. This is what's best. No. We align ourselves with his will, with what's really best. We align ourselves with him through prayer. And, and through his relationship, his, through his mercy, he answers our prayers. He calls us in to partner with him in bringing things out to happen in the world. It's aligning ourselves and our will to God. Thy will be done. So it's often we don't end up saying prayers like, God, give me a new Tesla, give me the iPhone 20 answer all my dreams but no how about we ask I want your dreams to be done God. do we understand the just 
the magnitude of, of what we have when we go into our prayer closet, so to speak, and connect with the Father. It's like plugging a phone charger into an electrical plant for the central Midwest region of the United States. <laughs> for truly I say to you, Jesus says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and nothing will be impossible for you. Why is prayer so powerful, friends? It's because it's declaring God's will desperately. Uh, one of the greatest metaphors for, for prayer I've, I've heard is this. Pastor uh, Paul Washer tells the story of he was down in Brazil um, ministering with some pastors, and he ended up going out uh, surfing, going out surfing on this Brazilian beach. And he's out there surfing, and, and then he sees um, this guy, this very small um, Brazilian man who's um, out there and now he's drowning. He's drowning, he's just splashing out, he's just going crazy. He's like, man, oh, I gotta do something. But he looked around and these, these other surfers who are just far better, far ex more experienced than him, they, they aren't going close to him. Not a single one of them. Now, uh, Paul, he's just, uh, Comparatively to this man, he was a much bigger, stronger man, taller than this small Brazilian man. But he, he, he sees fear on the other surfers' faces. He sees fear. And he, he asks, All right, why? Why won't we go help him? He says, they said, don't do it, don't. Because this man is desperate. He is desperate, he's drowning, and he would pull every single one of us in to our deaths if we try to go and help him. It's because he was utterly desperate. Friends, when we come desperately to God in prayer, declaring his will, how much more will our Father act? If it moves, doesn't move us, why will it move him? But this small man could drown every single one of them the desperation of his prayer because when we pray we connect ourselves to a source that is so much stronger more powerful than us prayer is declaring god's will last point number five prayer is coming to the cross you see this in verses 12 through 15 prayer is coming to the cross he says and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So Jesus here is not mean for believers to daily seek for their justification again, that, all right, am I, have I lost my salvation? Since believers are immediately and forever declared saved, righteous before God when we come to saving trust in him. So he's not saying like that. Rather, this is a prayer for restoration between relationship, with personal relationship with God, when it's been hindered by sin. It's coming again to say, oh man, God, I messed up. I, I sinned. 
this who uh, we receive forgiveness are moved by gratitude rather to forgive others who are debtors to us. We're moved by forgiveness that we have from God to forgive others in our lives. I think that's why he uses the word debtors in verses 12. Later on in uh, chapters um, 17, excuse me, 18, there's a parable about someone who owed a lot, a great debt. And we'll get to that in a second. And we're supposed to think of that. We're supposed to think of that because, friends, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Oh, they did this something that was totally wrong, God. And God's a God of justice, and he's holy. And he, all right, I can't be treated that way. And now I'm going to mistreat them by my own anger and judgment. Maybe you don't even say anything or do something to them, but in your heart, you're judging them. There's anger. There's unforgiveness. Peter says, God, how, how often do I have to forgive him? How, how often? Peter also writes later on, he says, Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives, because otherwise your prayers will be hindered. See, because otherwise there will be beef between you and God. That's what I think Jesus is saying right here. Come to God. You see, pagans at the time, for their, no, for their prayers to be heard, they would come and they'd sacrifice their crops, their animals, to say, all right, God, bless, um, bless my wife childbearing. Uh, that was a real thing. A lot of people, women died that way. Bless my crops so that I have a good crop this year. And this brings up a good point. Um, you know, even uh, in the story uh, of uh, Troy, where uh, the Greek hordes are, are going to go off to, to Troy to, to save Helen, Agamemnon, their, their army of all these ships, right, just keep on being destroyed in the surf. They're not able to go to find a good win until they finally make a sacrifice of Agamemnon's own daughter, his own virgin daughter. And then that releases the gods to let them go out to, to Troy. It brings up a really good point. Why should God, a holy God, who has perfection as his standard, listen to us? Why should he listen to sinners? Let's jump to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother? Let, when my brother sins against me, will I forgive him? Seven times? Man, I'm being pretty holy, right? Seven times I'll forgive him, God. Jesus says to him, do not say seven times, but 77 times. And that meant really forever. And Jesus tells him this story then, this kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. And he has a higher-up servant here, and one who brings forth to him um, is about ten, who owes him 10,000 talents. I forget the exact number, but that's equivalent to, um, I think, millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and his children, and all he had to make the payment that he had made. But the servant falls on his knees and in tears, he begs his king, all right, please don't have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master, the king, releases him, forgives him the debt. We have that word debt. Forgives him the debt. 
And so the servant goes out there, and then he finds one of his servants who owes him money. And uh, 100 denarii, it says, which is about roughly for us, um, speaking in our 20, 22 language, well, it might be actually more because of inflation now, <laughs> is about $25,000. That's a good amount of money, all right? Um, he says, pay me what you owe me. And he starts choking the guy out. Another servant sees this and he tells the king. He says, man, this guy that you forgave this huge debt, I just saw him treating one of his servants this way. So he calls him in. And he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you this great debt that you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivers him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He says, then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You see, the servant cannot forgive his fellow servant. Why? Because he didn't really realize how much he'd been forgiven by his Lord and King. It hadn't changed his heart. It hadn't seeped into the crevices of his heart and changed him. Friends, we have been given an insurmountable and impossible debt for us to pay. Our sin. If we wrote every single one of our sins on a piece of paper, it would, it would go from here to the moon and beyond and keep going. Even more importantly than that, our sin, even a single sin, is so weighty because of who we have offended. Someone who is infinitely good to us. It might be one thing if I maybe um, <clears throat> were to say, hit my son. God forbid it. It'd be another thing if I hit the President of the United States. I wouldn't be alive anymore. <laughs> Let the weight of our forgiveness from Christ massage into your hearts over and over again. And let that every time someone sins against you, every time a spouse, a church member, a child sins against you, annoys you, remind you how great a sinner you are, how much a greater Savior we have that you've been forgiven. Church, let us abide in prayer. It is utter necessity for the Christian life. It's like breathing oxygen. But know this, when you fail, when you fail in your private devotions, when you fail in your prayer, there is one who interceding for you in heaven. There's one who's praying for you. Jesus has not failed. Every day, every second, he's showing his snail-scarred hands to the Father, saying, forgive Jimmy, forgive Eric, forgive Jonathan, a God who listens to you. And he treats you as his son's righteousness deserves. Not as you fully deserve, but as Jesus deserves. Because at Calvary, Christ died, and he cried out, My God, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, God, closed his ears to those cries because he treated him then as you deserved, as I deserved. But now we have access to the mercy and grace because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, that we have a Savior who intercedes for us. 
his own blood who prays for us, who lives to pray for us, who doesn't stop praying for us even when we don't. May we be changed, God, through that, that we would forgive others, that we would draw to you in prayer, God, out of that place that you already drew to God our Father on our behalf. Let that change our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.